There's nothing like this in sports. You don't. There is no free throw contest to join the Lakers. And it's not join the Lakers and sit on the end of the bench. It's join the Lakers and you have the same exact chance as everybody else does. Like, obviously, talent aside, when you tee it up, you're equal to Rory McIlroy on Monday. And there's nothing like it in sports. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another Fire Drill podcast, as always joined by Ryan French and Michael Bamberger. It's such a big moment in golf, we thought we'd bring in a couple extra voices for this very special pod. Uh, we have Matt Janella and Super Agent Mac Barnhart coming in from uh, Idaho, where he's been snowboarding with the likes of Davis Love. We'll get to all that soon, but we thought we would start... Uh, with Ryan and the Mega Monday qualifier here in Scottsdale, uh, Ryan's coming straight from the golf course. He's all he's all jacked up because he lives for this stuff. Um, Ryan, I know we lost a few a few players because the Monday finished in Pebble Beach, and that slightly dampened your spirits. But how was this Monday? What are the storylines? And just bring it to life for our listeners, please. Yeah, I actually think, guys, uh, is that it got better because the tour players didn't make it. Um, you know, all of those guys are doing okay. And the three stories that got through are unreal. Um, I put out a tweet, uh, 35 combined seasons as pros from the three guys that have got through, uh, that got through today. And this is their combined fourth PGA tour event. They have four PGA tour events prior to this 35 years, 35 seasons. Andre Metzger has been a pro since 2007. And this is his second PGA Tour event ever. Uh, and it's for a $20 million purse. I, I heard today, and I don't know if it's accurate, but last place is $43,000. So uh, making the cut is a game changer for these guys. Um, I mean, it just perfectly sums up uh, why I love Mondays. Brett White, five years ago, had a brain infection and couldn't walk or talk. And Monday qualified for one of the most important, the one of the biggest tour events, the biggest purse ever. Uh, Dalton Ward went to a junior college and averaged 79 and then quit and is now playing on, at an elevated event. And Andre Metzger, although a mini tour legend, literally said to me today, I said uh, that, you know, he lives in Scottsdale, has an apartment in Scottsdale with his wife and kids, and said, I said, well, at least you saved some money on uh, on lodging. And he said, what money? I don't have any money. And so if those three stories don't make what I cover worthwhile, I can't help you. It doesn't get it doesn't get any better than that. I don't know what to say. And I watched all three of the guys uh, sit there and wait for scores to come in, look at every group, hold their breath, read how the people are walking towards scoring because the chance of a lifetime uh, is coming their way now. And I've said it a million times. If the PJ tour doesn't lean into this part, this is the advantage they have. This is what they have. Not only storytelling on the Monday Q level, but all levels. So I know how we said we're going around the horn. I just dominated the first three minutes. I apologize. 
and that's it. Ryan, no no playoff today? That's unusual. Yeah, no playoff today. It was great because it was going to get uh, dark and it would have had to had to uh, had to go into tomorrow. And these guys that haven't had the opportunity, as Mac knows, it's hard to sleep on a on on that when it's staring in you in the face. It's from not from now until the morning is a lot of time to think about how much money twenty million dollars is. And so I think it's just better that it went off like this. Great stories, tons of tour guys. I give a lot of respect to guys like Martin Trainer. Uh, finished, took a flight this morning, and then rushed over. Uh, Harrison Endicott uh, played with uh, Will Bateman, the actor in the in uh, as his pro am partner. Will Bateman flew him in his private jet to L.A. so he could catch a flight to Phoenix. I mean, this is Monday. Q to this was. I couldn't even. I couldn't keep all the stories away. It was too much to you cover. Mean, you mean Jason Bateman or Will Arnett? Which yeah, whatever. Both of those guys. They were both on the plane. That's how I screwed it up. Jason Bateman <laughs> and Will Arnett were on the plane. <laughs> Smartless. This has become an episode of Smartless. Um, I mean, it, it's true that this is the number one advantage that the PGA Tour has over, say, Live, is that it's not a closed shop, and you can have these exceptionally charming stories, and it, there's still elements of a meritocracy where guys can, can barge their way into the field and, and change their life with one great week. And uh, Andre Metzger, you've told me many stories about him. He's a Dakota's Tour legend, and there's one particularly colorful tale. It's time that you, you put it out into the wild, Ryan. You've been sitting on this for too many years. What is the most famous Andre Metzger story? No, I refuse. I refuse to write. I tell this story because I'm going to write it. It's way better in the written word. He's a legend. He likes to party, and uh, I love him. And I refuse to tell this story without a full understanding of everything that went into it. And uh, it needs context. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what context I would learn. <laughs> but uh, that's the. That's the tease for my next story, Andre Metzger and the Dakota Stewart. Michael, this is the guy you should caddy for, by the way. Okay. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan, what can a guy make, if anything, on a Monday night? These three guys in particular, can they sign up for anything tailor-made or anything else while they'll get them quick cash come Thursday morning? Uh, No. Uh, Some of these guys have, like, a little bonus. Uh, Brett is it? a titleist guy so i would assume he'll he gets like three thousand dollars for getting into the event um matt could speak better to you know brett's story is really great his agent has already sent me a message and thanking me i assume it will resonate with a lot of people and so i assume he can find little deals like mark did uh to kind of help him through the week yeah they get paid now right don't don't they get a stipend for playing now if you if you're not a member, I mean, I knew the regular guys get five hundred thousand against, and I think the other guys are they don't get that. Yeah, I don't know. I confirmed today that Monday qualifiers do not get the five thousand dollars. Okay, the PGA Tour uh, can't afford the extra fifteen thousand dollars. It's going to break. Sucks, Sorry, man. Mac. That's, that's yeah, the guys outrage. that need it the most. Yeah, the guys that need it the most. Yeah, they don't get it. Ryan, do you think this guy would have rather? Monday qualified for uh, John Deere with a less purse with 50, 50 best players in the world not playing um, 
I mean, it's quite a jump from Monday qualifying to going and playing against a field that's stacked. I mean, it's a stack. You know, it's like it's like a players, right? Um, and not no district, you know. Not saying these guys shouldn't be there, but Mac, I think I mean it's a great question, Mac. Uh, I, as you know better than I, you do. You, you you talk to these players every day, is I've always loved the mental aspect of these players. I asked Andre tonight. I was like, "Do you believe that you can be on the PGA Tour?" This is a guy who's forty-one years old and has played two PGA Tour events. And I said, "Do you belong on the PGA Tour?" And he said, "One hundred percent." And whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. He believes it. And so I don't know if he thinks that far ahead, Mac, like or, or thinks about options like that. Would he rather play in the John Deere? I think he believes that he can he can win the waste management d- despite the odds that it probably 90 and it's going to be a lottery ticket, basically. Probably not that good odds. Well, and, but, and even more on that, it gets even harder because these are guys who are used to playing with nobody watching. And now you come to the the crucible of TPC Scottsdale with, you know, a hundred thousand plus people, a lot of big Yahoo factor, the noise, the energy, the distractions. I mean, to think that you, you could go from the Dakotas tour and, and then navigate the completely different competitive environment. It just, it just adds to the romance of one of these guys can even make the cut because it would be a phenomenal accomplishment, I think. It becomes a two-day story now to see if they can make a cut instead of having to follow a four-day story in which you're seeing who wins the tournament. Like the idea that you're now just following guys just to see if they could, like like Baldwin at AT and T last year, which was can he make the cut, and then it becomes a turn. It's a one-day tournament after he makes the cut to see how much he can impact his life. It's just so much more interesting to me than one of these top players in the world just getting another $1.8 million check or whatever they're going to, it just, um, it, it's no contest for me. You know, the, the tour kind of like Augusta has gone away from printing money, right? They don't tell you how much money they tell me FedEx cut points. Now money is back into the conversation. It's all everybody talks about. And it's kind of funny in Scottsdale, it's going to be talking about the money and there's a football stadium around a par three. <laughs> you can't make it more non-traditional than that. And so it's it's kind of comical that now money is the only – it's like the lottery's gotten big enough for people to play buy tickets now or something. I, 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 this is going to be fun to watch. Ryan, if these, Ryan, if these guys top 10 this week, do they get into Honda? Yes. Uh, yeah, what's next week? Genesis. So they would not get into Genesis. And then, uh, and they would get into Honda, and they, uh, they would. So I mean, that gets to Matt's point. In other words, you've got competitions within competitions. They just want a tremendous competition to get in the field. Now, if they can make a cut, can they play good enough golf on Saturday and Sunday to top ten and get another start at another start at Honda? You know, yeah. careers have started on less likely things than that. Yeah, I mean, I think for especially like Andre, I mean, and and Brett too. I mean. Brett was talking today about how he's saving money here and saving money there, as all these guys do and girls that are charging it. And I think a little pressure off guys like Andre if he makes the cut because he finishes dead last 43,000, might as well be a million. Uh, and so, you know, a little pressure off and, and you can just kind of freewheel it. But yeah, I mean, I said to Jake, our producer, uh, and 
you know, we've agreed there's nothing like this in sports. You don't, there is no free throw contest to join the Lakers. And it's not join the Lakers and sit on the end of the bench. It's join the Lakers and you have the same exact chance as everybody else does. Like, obviously talent aside, when you tee it up, you're equal to Rory McIlroy on Monday. And there's nothing like it in sports. I obviously love it, but I love it. <laughs> uh, that's great stuff. So to to Mac's point, you know, money makes the world go around and especially the golf world right now. And uh, it, it'll be a, a big part of, of the Phoenix Open backstory, but it certainly had an effect on the term that just ended in, in Pebble Beach because, you know, Pebble used to get a pretty good field. Tiger played at a good amount in, in the early years. You know, Phil was a staple. Uh, you had a you had a guys you know some of the Florida guys never played it whatever but it was a respectable field and there were always some stars at the top whether it was Dustin Johnson or whomever but with the advent of Middle Eastern money and now especially Live Golf and, and the Saudi International you know Pebble Beach has just been decimated from the standpoint of attracting players and um, you know we saw a lot of guys withdraw on uh, before the tournament even ended. And it's a shame because those of us who were on the ground, like Matt and myself, there's no term that's more fun to be at. The pros are relaxed. The amateurs are good fun. There's there's parties and dinners and, and music every night. And when you're on the ground, it's it's an incredible experience. But if you're watching at home, um, you know, there's not enough cameras at Spyglass or Monterey Peninsula. And it, there's not enough, not enough stars on the leaderboard. So, uh, Mac, I, I'm curious for your overview about – you know, we're starting to really see it now that this chasm between the big, big events like Phoenix and the non-elevated events like Pebble. And um, are you hearing from players like that are now building their whole schedule around the elevated events? And what is your take on on sort of the haves versus the the have mores on the PGA Tour right now? <laughs> well, it's the first time that I, in my career, thirty years, that I've ever heard a player schedule based on purse. They're usually based on their playing. You know, the courses they like. The rest schedule, three on, one off, that kind of thing. This is the first time I've ever heard them talking about money. And not that winning $3 million isn't wonderful, but winning a million and a half is, I mean, astonishing and why they even care. And I think the, one of the problems, and you see this, and, and I won't go to the player, but there have been players that have played the week schedule on tour. There's always been elevated events and unelevated events. They just never said it. There were always events – that, but there were players that would be able to finish in the top 30 in FedEx points, playing all the small events, playing against the least competition that you can play in. And they get top 30, and the next year they lose their card because now they start playing in the memorials and the colonials and the Bay Hills. They play the elevated events, and again, I'm using elevated just because the fields are stronger. And they lose their card playing against that competition, and it's happened quite a few times. And now you've got guys that haven't won on tour that have no security other than keeping their card this year that are scheduling, skipping the Honda, skipping the San Diego, skipping the ones that are quote, non elevated for the purse. And I, if I'm those guys, I'm thinking, let me go get a win. Let me go prove I can beat these people before I got to go play where the tour makes the top 50 players come and beat them. So it's changed the whole dynamic, and I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they really should just be honing their skills and getting good at golf. Looking at how much they make it should be relevant. It really should be. It's a great insight, Mac. You know, and 
Tiger used to always say that, and Jordan Spieth said the exact same thing when he was come win at every level at which you're playing, and don't play at a level which you're not ready to play. Uh, so, like, if you can top ten at John Deere, that doesn't mean you can top ten at the Genesis. It's a big difference in golf course and field. So, I, I think it's a it's a great insight, and uh, I think it would be a very shrewd manager who would say, "Why don't you play this tournament?" Because this win will get you in the Masters, and you're not in the Masters. Max too polite, but I know he was thinking of probably Fred Funk, right, who made a career out of winning opposite events and and secondary events. But yeah, fair, fair play Funk to him, Brian Gay and Wayne Levy, a lot of guys. Yeah. Fred did win the Players, so it won. But you're right; there's a lot of guys that created a quite nice career. If you go look at the tournaments they won, and they were they would have been considered unelevated events based on the strength of field, not the money necessarily. But it's okay. I mean, I mean that's you know, you know we go back to AAA baseball. There's it's okay to go play the weaker fields. But and then you have to know thyself. You know some of these guys, even though they may have a really incredible year and win, they still shouldn't just step themselves up and go. Well, I'm going to play Memorial. I'm going to play golf courses that don't fit their game. Um, I mean, but you see it, and again, I, I guess they want to test themselves against the best. But I think once you're settled, you've got your tour wins, and you can, you know, you've got some time, then go test. But if I if I haven't won, I'm I'm going nowhere near these strong fields, <laughs> if I can help it. Matt, you know, you you were on the grounds at Pebble last week. We got to hang out a little bit. And can you speak to that that um, sort of break between anyone who's on the grounds of that tournament and and those watching at home, and I, I know you had a, a really fun week bopping around and talking to people. And uh, if you're at Pebble Beach and you're in the golf world, like how how great and how valuable a week is that? Be, yeah. Before I get to that, by the way, Justin Rose wins today. Hasn't won in four years. Gets into the Masters. Like Justin Rose is a guy who just who just cleaned up. I mean, what an what an opportunity he just had at one of these events to to turn the, the the back end of his career around. <laughs> I mean, good for him. Yeah. In a writer cup you know, year too, by the way. Like all of it. Know. I mean, he he's now he's now relevant again. And that, you know, from what I was told from good sources, he was he was a live guy, like 42 years old. He, you know, done high burn rate back home. And he needed he needed something. And he just got he just got what he needed. And good for him. At a, at a venue that obviously mattered to him. But I was just going to talk about how, you know, Steve John is a friend of ours, the tournament director, three courses, rain, wind. They had a heart attack, one of the caddies, you know, Bo Hostler's group, you know, the, the guy he put put his head in, you know, Lucas Nelson's lap. They they brought him back to life. He's still being tended to at, at, at the local hospital. All that – you know, extra day TV time, all this, uh, the egos and the logistics and all that goes into Pebble beach. But when you, like you say, Alan, when you're there, it is so much fun. The venues they're playing, the people who are there, you know, they've done a great job of, of getting relevant celebrities to be a part of it. Athletes, Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers, one that they, I mean, music every night, no matter where you turn, there's multiple, multiple the volunteers party was insane you know eric church and and uh uh toby who was the who's the uh, uh lucas nelson actually blistered the blistered the show i mean everyone went crazy 
I mean, it was Ray Romano, you know, Darius Rucker, one after the next, getting up and performing, one trying to do outdo the other. Clint Eastwood there backstage, you know, Bill Murray coming up and kissing the ring and, and giving respects to to Clint Eastwood. It was it's an incredible event. And um part of me feels bad for them, oh, because they don't get the field. Part of me respects the fact that they're like, you know what? Whoever's here wants to be here. And whoever is going to be here is going to have a great time, regardless of the elements and what's happening. They put on a great event at a great venue, and they got it done. And and they deserve credit. All the maintenance crew that had to deal with the the weather and the elements and the squeegee and the greens. I mean, it was exhaustive, I'm sure, for everybody to be a part of that. But they got it done, and they deserve credit. Yeah, you know, I know some of the board members of – that help run the tournament and their attitude's really interesting. They don't worry about the pros who don't show up. Like that tournament has donated more to charity than any other on the PGA tour. And they feel like their mandate is to raise as much money as possible for the community. And so that, that you know, the amateurs, not only do they pay $30,000, but some, some kick in extra just cause they love the event. Some guys say, well, if you give me a spot, I'll, 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 I'll round up to a hundred thousand, whatever it may be. And, it it is an incredible uh, community resource to have that tournament, and that that's that's the people who run it. That's what they focus on, and I, I think it's admirable. We we get we get so wrapped up in in who's not there, but the the pros that come, you know, they play hard. They still gave out ten million dollars. They're playing through the best cor- golf courses on the planet, and so uh, it's you know it's obviously my hometown event. And next year it's it hasn't officially been named an elevated event, but it's going to be. And of course, it will be a delight to see all the best players on those golf courses. And there's probably going to be some tweaks to the the format. You know, they may just go 36 holes with the the amateurs. They may only go two courses. Like a lot of things are on the table to make that whole that whole event go. But um, in the end, it, it was a pretty great show. And um, you know, J- Justin Rose. It's funny because I talked to him at Torrey Pines about his decision not to go live. And he said he got a, a very good offer and he really thought about it. And, um, you know, he was, he, it was a, it was a real thing. It was real, it was tangible, but he said, I just felt like to achieve the, my goals in golf, I was better served in the PGA tour. And so it's cool that he was rewarded with a W and, you know, clearly he's got one U S open, but he thinks he can pick off another major before all is said and done. And he, the, the, the weekly grind of the tour is where he, he knows he's going to be sharpest. And so, uh, I kind of have a new, newfound respect for Rose. And I know Michael, you, you've covered him um, a, a bit here and there through the years. What are your impressions of, of Justin and do you have any, any stories? Uh, the last time I was with him for any length of time at all was when he went to San Diego, uh, as Matt was saying already three years ago, it seems like, uh, seems like yesterday. And, uh, uh, it's he would have seen like the prototypical guy to go live uh except for one very significant fact i think and alan you probably can speak to this far better than uh i uh he's represented by mark steinberg and none of mark steinberg's is that still correct alan none of mark steinberg's guys have gone gone live okay uh So can you imagine? Well, Alan, fill us in. Maybe you can finish that sentence for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll throw this to Mac in a second. But that is definitely, and this is all going to be in my book because it's a fascinating part of this whole piece. Is you have this GSC um, agency, almost all of their guys went live. Excel, which is Mark Steinberg's, none of them have gone, and that there's there's, and I've talked to players in, in both stables, and they admit, you know, there's a there's a momentum. And there's almost a peer pressure 
and you're not immune to that. But that's what I, I asked Rose specifically. I said, you know, did you feel like Steinberg kind of, because he's, he's all under the PGA tour. And so was Tiger. Like, did you feel like he steered you away from live? And he said, no, I mean, uh, they brought me the offer and it was up to me to decide. And I made the decision. And if I had decided to go live, they would have supported it. And so uh, he debunked that theory a little bit, but um, in, in talking not about really, players, not really. I mean, but <laughs> you know, in, in his mind, he was give, he was, they fought hard for him to get the best offer. And, I talked to an, another person who who works for Excel, and they said, you know, a lot of our guys got offers, and and we brought to them, and we we talked it out, and um, and ultimately they, they made their own choice to to go one direction or the other. But um, I, I'm curious your take, Mac, on um, how the landscape has sort of changed in the agenting business because it's the first time you have a real competitor you can play off against, um, you know, one tour against the other, and. Um, because it's, it's so sensitive, you know, the agents have to have a lot of these conversations in the shadows because the players have to be careful. And, um, how is, how has your life and, and your colleagues life changed in this era of live golf? Yeah, amazing. Um, the going back to, you know, clients do make their own decisions, guys. I, I, I don't know anybody. It's got the power to move a guy if he's going somewhere, if he's going to change clubs or whatever, maybe there's a, a little softer, Maybe there's a little selling on each side of it, but no. I, the players made their decisions. I don't think that's got anything to do with it. But, yeah, you, but this is where the fun begins now. So in our business, signing the top players that come out of – that are going to come out now with an opportunity to have a tour card right out of college, which, you know, before I've got to get a guy to get on the Corn Ferry, and then I've got – so it's two years to really elevate to get where you can get PGA Tour contracts. So now – Getting the kids that can get on tour that will earn cars out of college is a huge deal, right? And a lot of that comes from starts and events. So, in other words, they get exemptions in the PGA Tour events and make cuts. It helps their college plan to get on tour. So, obviously, if you're well-liked and your player can get more starts, and this is what we'll be watching, or there's certain agencies that their, their recruits seem to get more starts, the kids in college that they're recruiting or they're playing more. Um, and then the most fascinating thing, let's just go and say, and I don't, I don't use this lightly, but let's say the next Tiger Woods shows up and he's a junior in college and he gets the points to become a tour player and you sign him. And it used to be your first call would be to, you know, the club manufacturer or the clothing manufacturer. Well, now your first call would, I guess, be to Jay Monahan to say, Jay, you know, I've got this kid. And I'm sure he's going to get an offer from Liv. What can we do? And that's a very strange call. And it's not leveraging. It's just what you have to do. Because do they want that call? Does the tour want you to call and say, listen, I've got a young kid. And Liv's going to go after him. That's going to be the biggest change and how the business is approached. And getting the kids that are going to get on tour, this, you know, this Gordon Sargent kid who is just phenomenal, great kid, you know, you know, if he's if he earns enough points to get his tour card and comes right out, the value of that kid versus a kid that's got to go through Corn Ferry is remarkable. <laughs> it's remarkable the difference, right? And and seriously, the, will the tour get in a position to where it starts offering stuff to these players not to go live? I mean, it's kind of what PIP is, right? I mean, it's kind of what it is. So yeah, it's changed the whole dynamic in that sense. Mac, how, Mac, how would that work? How can Jay Monahan just offer up money to some kid out of college? On what basis? 
I didn't say he could, but I'm saying I've never had the question, and I probably won't get one of these guys that you know I'm, you know, but but what you but right now what they've done they've given where a college player can earn points and become straight to the tour, not go to Q school, Corn Ferry, nothing, right? But that's just an exemption. That's not. I mean, that's they get the five hundred thousand, I guess, guarantee, but they don't. That's it. And if you got Liv offering twenty five million. Does the tour want to know about that? Do they want to say, and I'll use Gordon Sargent just because he's the kid right now that, I mean, if Liv makes a run at him, but 50 million or whatever, some silly number, does the tour want you to call them before, or is it just, no, this is, we're going to give him one year on the tour. So I don't know. I don't know how Jay Monahan does it. I don't know where the PIP money came from. I don't know where any of it came from, but I just know that this is what, in my business, people are talking about is how do we handle that? Well, now now there's the TGL. Um, that's become okay. just another way to reward players for their loyalty. Okay. That's not necessarily going to go to a, a kid out of college, but that's become a thank you for for your service to well, a lot of these guys. We'll, and, we'll see. When you take you take the pit money, you take the TGL money. That's that that's that's going to be real money. Um, that has that has nothing to do with uh, what your score is at the end of the day. I don't I'm not saying any of this is going to happen, but if you see the trend of where it's going, you see you see guys getting repaid for their loyalty. But let's say the next Tiger Woods comes out and they know it's this got this kind of impact on the game. Would the tour negotiate against Liv to keep him? Well, I mean it's it's like the PJ Tour U, they're now giving away cards to college kids. I mean, they never would have done that in the past, but that's to try and thwart live golf from from poaching all the young players. I mean, the, there's no doubt they're they're fighting back, and that's what these elevated events are. And um, so, yeah, I mean, the tour has reshaped its business model because of live. So to think that they're not going to pull every lever that they have to to try and keep players, I mean, they clearly are. And you know, we all know about the you know, Bubba Watson kind of blew the lid off of it, and you know about this too, Mac. It's like. The tour cannot pay appearance fees, but the tournament sponsor can can pay a guy to show up at a cocktail party. You know, it's here's your three hundred thousand dollars for having a drink and telling a couple jokes, and that's been going on for a long time. And that that may or may not accelerate. I mean, there's there, there's a, there's a lot of ways to um, to get money into the pockets of the players that that are are not you know visible to the to the public. Hey, Mac, as we've discussed many times, you're more of a life coach really an advisor than you know quote just just an agent um when someone says something like max homa you know you can't buy my dreams but you got another kid who you know the family is hundreds of thousand dollars in debt because of you know all the money they've spent playing the amateur golf and like now there's a live offer say and you can take you can actually make money now how do you, how do you as an advisor play those things out when you're talking talking to golfers or or, or how you know in the future might be talking to golfers about that sort of decision. I think. I mean, I think it's going to change. But no, I do it just like I would do with any offer, whether it's an appearance fee or a, a contract to represent a certain brand. You lay it all out in the facts, and the facts are: what are your obligations? What do you get paid for it? And and then once you do those two things, then you go into the pros and cons. You know. If you do this, this is kind of what you're looking at. And if you do that, if you if you sign with this company, you must play the driver. 
And if that driver at some point doesn't fit you, you can't get out, you'll lose your whole contract. So, a lot, you, know, so you would do it no differently. It's just lay the pros and cons. I mean, that's your job. It's just to give them the opportunities. Um, and they're going to come. You know, you said one of the things that's changing. Um, you know, they just come out and said if a kid comes out of college and plays a live event or an unauthorized event, he's banned for a year from the tour. And so there's a lot of us in this business are thinking, wow, I wonder if they could take and if you're a manager and you take a player to live, could they suspend your credentials for a year? Could they, you know, what can they do? I don't know. But we've laughed about it in the sense that, you know, they could say, well, you took a player to live, you're out. And then you didn't take a player to live, you're in. I mean, I don't know. Again, I, it's, these are just things that we've never had these conversations about. And most of the time when I talk to parents, they're wanting just enough money for their kid to pursue their dream. That's what they want. If they can get enough contract money to where they can play three or four years, is what it really takes to get on tour. I mean, as a rule, um, that's all they've ever wanted. Now parents are like, how much money is out there? Like, like big money. And does it compete with the club companies? Does it compete with the clothing companies? I mean, one of the things you got to understand is if, if the live goes to this team model, the managers are not going to be able to sell their, the club contracts, the clothing contracts, the logos. They're all going to be team driven. So you could sell a player to live, but that's the end of your revenue <laughs> stream with that kid because now it's all based on the team, right? Um, so there's, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons to, to go and not go, but these are all possible scenarios that would happen it, you know GSE I think is the company you said it's sent a bunch of guys there well if all their guys lose all their corporate deals because they're on live then that agent is not they're not going to do as well the next year after those signing bonuses are gone right so I mean it's just like I say it's a different conversation but I'll tell you this every kid that I've talked to has asked about live every one of them it's fair. I mean, it's another opportunity. Well, they, they <clears throat> and, and with elevated events being even more elevated and less opportunities coming down the line as more sponsors get pissed and leave the PGA tour or can't afford the PGA tour live is, uh, is actually going to only be become more relevant if time goes by, correct or not. What well, totally could. I mean, let's face it. What Alan just said about AT&T, the amount of money that, that they give the local charities, that's what the PGA Tour has always been to me. The, the GGO in Greensboro and the RSM in St. Simons. And the, those things were community-driven projects to raise money for local. I mean, if you go to Sanderson Farms, they never had the strongest field, but go look at the people that show up to cheer and, and, and go to the chalets. And, and it's a community deal. That's what I've always thought the tour was. Um, I didn't, they weren't, you had some big events, you know, you had the memorials and you had, you know, the players, but in reality, each PGA tour event was just a community driven event. And, and now do you go away from that kind of like NASCAR did, you know, they got away from their communities where they had racing fans and they went to places that didn't have racing fans. And I think there's a little bit of burnout in people thinking that these golfers are getting greedy about money they just you know it's just never talked about it was is was one thing that golf was different so it's it's crazy out there ryan you had a, um you had a tweet about the asian tour event because 
casual fans may be confused, but the Saudi event that was just played this last week, that's not live. Um, that's just part of the Asian tour schedule. But you had a tweet to, you know, showing a, a lot of big time players there and something to the effect. Like if, if you thought this many guys were going to show up for an Asian tour event, you know, a year or two ago, um, you would have been crazy. I'm not sure if I'm stating that exactly right, but in, in your world, are you hearing more talk about Asia as a landing place? Um, and, as as these second tier tour events, if they start to wither away and there's fewer playing opportunities, um, I mean, do you, do you think that that that's really accelerating now as as, as live has become more of a real thing and um, the Asian tour investments kicking in? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, a hundred percent. But also, it's brought up the Asian tour has kind of always been kind of a third tier, and now they're prominent in the golf world, and they have to clean up a lot of their stuff. Uh, they give out tons of exemptions. Each event has 27 invites. They've kind of done things where you could you could pay your way into final stage. Uh, it happened here uh, this year that a guy that missed at first stage in Arizona for Asian Q School has a relationship with Phil Mickelson. All of a sudden, this guy appeared in final stage, even though he missed at first stage, got his card. Uh you know, those are little things that need to be cleaned up as they, uh, you know, start to to move up this thing because it is a very real option for players right now. A lot of grinders want to play on the Asian tour because it's a viable option to make a living. But I've already heard from multiple guys that have gotten their Asian tour card how frustrated they are about not being able to get in a few of these events to start. So it's like, you know, this is this is becoming a prominent golf tour is to learn how to manage all of these things. Uh, they've kind of operated in the shadows for so long that they have to clean it up. But 100% it's a viable option. Their Q school was huge. It will be even bigger every year as long as these guys start to get some opportunities. So um, the golf world is dividing. That just is all there is to it. There's more options for people to do it. And uh, as Mac knows, and all of you guys know, that you start to lose some of these top players or they get spread out, then I'm not sure anybody wins, but I know the tour loses. Hey, hey Matt, to, to follow up on something uh, Mac said, uh, you, you talk to a lot of people who are you know at the highest levels of the game. There are 44 PGA Tour events that are going to be played this year. At some point, I mentioned Jay Monahan trying to match live tournament for tournament is going to say, you guys got to cough up more. How many events do you think we, from what you're hearing, how many events do you think we could, we could lose, the tour could lose between 2023 and 2024? I think you could lose 14 to 15. Wow. If you're going up to 25 million to play in an elevate, to be an elevated event and the tour isn't, subsidizing any of that and other events are obviously going to have to you know pony up some or you're just going to be left to a depleted field how many can justify any kind of expense when you're down to a field of you know non-marquee players AT&T might be able to do it you know they they you know without being an elevated event because of the celebrities, you're going to have to see some changes in models. I mean, I just think the schedule is going to get shorter anyway, 
where what happens to world golf championships i mean they these next you know 6 to 18 months i just think is going to be one of the most tumultuous times in professional golf history it would be wild, Matt, if what you're saying uh, pans out, because then the Live Tour and the PJ Tour would essentially have very similar schedules. You know, 20 or so events, or a few more than that on the PJ Tour, everyone with big names and, and, and really big paydays, and then a few Sanderson Farms that are hanging on for the sake of the community. And then do you have room... Then do you have room for live to actually coexist? Is there an opportunity to have like a split schedule? So you have a PGA tour time of the year and you have a live tour time of the year. You have the majors in which, you know, then, then where does the world golf rank it? What happens there? I mean, all of this has got, (laughs) this is going to be, this is going to be wild from a corporate standpoint, sponsorship standpoint, media standpoint, player standpoint, agent standpoint, it's everything, you know, <laughs> how many books are you going to write, Alan? <laughs> See if I survive this one. But yeah, I, I'm not sure if the casual fan. In what way? Fully. <laughs> What's that? In, in what way? Physically, spiritually. How are you going <laughs> to? Yeah, not physically. Survive? Like are the solid, <laughs> like who's after All you? All of it. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a number of ways I could perish, but the, um, <laughs> It's I'm not, not sure the casual fan understands like the center is barely holding this year for the PGA tour. Like they were able to cobble it all together. They threw a bunch of money at the problem. They kept the players they could keep and they just bought themselves a year, but the shit is really going to hit the fan in 2024 when all they have to go to all these sponsors and they have to tell them what they want and need from them. And companies that may have already been rethinking the cost of, of hosting when that cost doubles or triples, um, they're going to start hemorrhaging sponsors. And then it's going to get really interesting because, you know, I've been talking to a lot of players about this. Um, you know, like I, I, Peter Malnati, he's one of the four, now now five uh, player directors for the PGA Tour. And he's the only one who's not a very, uh, you know, accomplished golfer. He's won a bunch of tournaments and, and this and that. And I said, I mean, are, is it your role to represent, you know, the, the, the middle class on tour? He said, that's why I did this. Like, we have to have a voice. He's like, I'm not comfortable with the, with the way things got shoved through at that Delaware meeting. We went outside of our normal governance and someone's got to stand up for the little guy. And he, he's like, I'm not sure I wanted to be that person, but someone had to do it. And you know, I talked to Kevin Streelman at Pebble Beach. Um, you know, he's had a very nice career, but he's never been one of the top, top guys. And he's, he's up to possibly be on the board next year. And, um, I said, can can we talk? He said, I'm dying to talk, but I can't do it right now. There's just too much going on. You know, there's, there's going to be a big player meeting at Bay Hill. And that's when a lot of the stuff's going to have to get hashed out and it's going to be fraught. I mean, to be in that room would be spectacular because, um, the players on the PJ tour still don't know what the fields are going to be for these elevated events next year. What do you have to do to be one of the guys? Is it top 50, top 70, top 100? It's like Keegan Bradley told me, he's like, I don't even know what the target is. Like, I don't know what my goal is for this year. So I'm just saying I got to get in the top 50 because they're going to have to at least have 50 guys in those fields. But um, it's, it's a very 
unusual moment in the game where the, the players are starting to there's this this discontent is is fermenting and you know i've asked some of them why not have why not have a a union you're the only sport that doesn't have a union you got the top 20 guys in the secret meeting setting policy for 200 other dudes who are in very different places in their career like how is that even possible and a lot of the players are like it's it sucks you know i'm not happy about it um i understand the stars are important and we got to take care of them but what about the rest of us and so this is all bubbling under the surface and um, depending on, on how some of these decisions go and what happens to the sponsors, what happens to the schedule, it could, it could get really messy. And of course that's what I'm rooting for. Cause I always root for anarchy, but um, it, the, the tours managed to have this season come off somewhat smoothly and, and have this appearance of a reshaped PJ tour, but everything is up for grabs right now. Michael, what are you going to say? Yeah, that's all very well said, Alan. Jay Monahan has done actually a masterful job getting this year off the ground. And Greg Norman and his people have actually done a masterful job getting live up and running as fast as they did. But, and this is a very big, very big but, golf is leaderless right now. Uh, and all the traditional models that we four and Mac, uh, who had to click off, and, and all of our listeners basically grew up on, those models are gone. Like the great model of baseball pre-bud ceiling of a commissioner who looks out for the fans, the owners, and the players, that's gone. I mean, that used to exist in golf. It's gone. There's nobody in this whole discussion. All we're talking about is, you know, to use the phrase we've used, you know, is the rich, the, the rich and the richer yet, basically. No one's talking about the ordinary fan and going to Sanderson Farms and going to Colonial or, you know, trying to snag a ticket for, uh, for Memorial if you're lucky enough. The fan is being completely ignored here. There's been never any discussion of what can we do to make this PGA Tour more lively, more interesting, more team events, more mixed events, whatever it might be. It's just business as usual and cater to the super rich and the super talented. And it's got people very frustrated and is really turning people off. And they're all forgetting about who pays the bills around here. And of course, it is the fan. So I feel like it, when, when you get into a conversation like this and you really think about where the PGA Tour is going, it's lost. I I would I would say all of that is totally true because I've talked to enough tournament sponsors to tell you that Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour and whatever you quote as leadership is not doing anything to talk with the sponsors or with these other players outside the top 20 or 25. They're talking at them. They're telling them exactly what the plan is. There is no actual let's sit down, let's hear some thoughts, let's make sure. They're focused on those those marquee players and let the chips fall where they may. Where These are the top players. These are where they're going to play. This is the amount, amount you're going to play. And, and Alan, you said they kind of secured this year. I'm not sure they have. I'm not so sure that there's not going to be sponsors who are going to walk in the middle of this year and say, you know what? Based on what you're telling us about what the future is, I'm out now. I'm out because I'm not, I'm not like the way we're being treated or, or how we're being dealt with or how we're not a part of the process. I mean, have they secured the year? I just don't think that's a, that's a done deal yet. That would be epic. I mean, Ryan, what does this mean to, to your constituency? Like if the PJ tour becomes even more of a closed shop, it's fewer tournaments and it's smaller fields. Like, do we, do we assume they'll pump more money into 
the KFT and, and you could at least make a decent living there? Or is it just an absolute free for all? You got to go to Asia, you got to go to Japan, you got to go to Australasia, you got to go to Europe. Like, what does this mean for your guys? Yeah, I mean, I've always been scared that once live became a viable option and now we're at these elevated events that we're headed for to live tours, right? It's like, I, I don't understand how the corn fairy and this tour under a tour can survive. Um, you know, everyone was like, it creates more playing opportunities. Yes, it has in the short term, but I'm just not sure if that's a viable option uh, in the long term. And so, you know, the, the, it's pretty well understood that Monday qualifiers aren't going to be a part of the elevated events going forward. It's going to be some sort of reduced field. And uh, it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I I tweeted it out tonight is, is I really think, and it's just not about Monday qualifiers. It's about the competitions. Michael said it a billion times is who makes the cut and who doesn't and all those kinds of things are what the tour has overlived. And I just don't understand leading the other way. I will never understand it. Obviously, I'm biased. I I get that, but I just don't understand why you're trying to. Jay Monahan has said that they can't compete dollar for dollar. So why try to uh, lean into something else? And what ever you do since he forward. said that, by the way, all he's done is tried to compete dollar for dollar. Every, from the day that he said that, I can't compete dollar for dollar. Every move has been to compete dollar for dollar. Every move. <laughs> yeah, that's well said. And it's sad because, you know, Abraham Anser won the tournament um, in Saudi Arabia, and he's such an appealing player. I mean, devastatingly handsome, has a great backstory. I, I love how tidy his game is, and it seems like he, he could he could be a guy who played really well on big stages. And it's only his third win, and you'd be like, okay, he's building towards something really cool. But now the live season is going to start and he's just going to recede from view. And, you know, he, he earned some world ranking points in this Asian tour event that might help get him into the majors, but it's not a sure thing based on how we'll see how the numbers go. And it's like, you know, I was really, really excited about Abraham Anser a couple of years ago as, as this up and coming international superstar who was carrying the flag for, you know, the great country of Mexico and all this stuff. And, and um, it was a nice win, but how do you build on it when you, when you go, you go back to live where, no one's really watching the competition that closely. So even that was kind of a bummer. Like all those players jilted Pebble Beach. They went to Saudi Arabia to take the money. But um, the result, in my mind, is devalued. So uh, it's, it just ties in what you're saying. Michael, do you have something you want to say? Our colleague, uh, uh, Jeff Ogilvy has made this point repeatedly to us. We all, to different degrees, have a very American-centric view. We grew up on the PJ Tour. We love golf. We wish we could play at that level. Um, but I have not – Abraham Answer's name, first off, I didn't know who won in Saudi Arabia until you just said it. That's how much I care, and I love golf. Two, Abraham Answer's name, Abe Answer, and I've enjoyed interviewing him a lot. His name has not come into my mind once since he went to live. And uh, so – to those who say, just let him go, there is a lot to be said for just let him go because Colin Marikawa is a great young talent, and I'm glad he's staying for now if you care about the PJ Tour, which I do. But if he left, 
there's there be there be a there be a new one. So they're really I'm really as Matt said, you know, all he's done is match dollar for dollar. I'm really not sure this strategy plays out in the long term. And I wish I could say the name, but someone who's really smart in golf that we all know said to me, I'd say, what you what would you say to Jay? And he'd say, I'd say, let him go. And once you take that mindset and you realize that we the fans are in control, it's the game where the great this the greatness of the game is the game, and the greatness of professional golf is that we care about what happens. Uh, so we're going to care about what happens. And, you know, no, but that, you know, Mac, as you said, had to, had to jump off and got to love his, his insight and, and perspective, because I love hearing from the business side of, of the players, but Mac said it all along from day one. If you're the tour, let him go, let him go and stay true to who you are and what you are. And the model you have, and the, I mean, and and that just didn't happen. But that's exactly what Max said from day one. I mean, I, I go back to Ryan's monologue at the start of this podcast, which was so beautiful and eloquent about this is what it's all about. I mean, it's the competition, it's the human element. Um, you know, we're lucky we still have Monday cues and. And we still have tournaments like Pebble Beach where you had a bunch of guys fighting for their livelihoods and there was there was a palpable hunger among, you know, I mean, speaking of Peter Malnati, he had a chance to change his whole career. He didn't get it done, but he played really well and he can build on that. There's a, there was a bunch of guys on that leaderboard that I found intriguing. They weren't big stars, but it doesn't mean they can't be in a year or two. And so um, it is, it's a very interesting, interesting moment in all of this. Um Alan, you can absolutely write a book for the ages here because what we are really seeing here, we, we have this intense interest in this narrow thing, but this narrow thing is revealing our culture where it is right now more than almost anything you could imagine. I mean, it dovetails right off of, of the Trump election and the fascination with celebrity that got Trump elected in the first place. Uh, we don't know what MBS's motives are here. If he's just trying to, if he's just trying to disrupt corporate America, he's shown that he, he's, he did it with, you know, with a snap of the finger and a few billion dollars in years, a hundred billion dollars more where that came from. So, uh, these are scarily interesting. He's trying to court corporate America. I mean, I've been reading a lot about MBS. I'm, I'm on like on my third book now. And I mean, he's obsessed with, with turning Saudi Arabia into a modern, commercial center for banking and for tourism and for all of these things. And that's why they're willing to lose money on this little golf league is because it gets them into the room with all the power brokers and, and all the big banks and all the big sponsors and, and all the guys in the pro-ams. And so um, it's, you know, it's just a Trojan horse to try and, to try and get into these, these other industries and these other conversations. And so um, he, I mean, he is a disruptive force. I mean, his vision for Saudi Arabia was to completely modernize it in every possible way. Um, and except for how he, he treated his own citizens, you know, there's always been this, what they do publicly and what they do privately in, in the international community, they want to see being seen as progressive. And at home, they, they crack down on dissent and, and, you know, there's brutal oppression, but it's this dichotomy there. And so, um, that's where the golf comes in. I mean, it's not a, it's not a secret. He's trying to court, the decision makers and he's trying to, he's trying to buy a seat at the table at all these powerful institutions and golf is a great way to do it. But uh, Alan, I don't, Alan, I don't like his chances of getting into Augusta national. <laughs> he's building his own evidently. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, that was another <laughs> well said, Brian. Oh. That was another news break. You know, some piece of land sells in Augusta, Georgia, and all of a sudden, Live Golf is going to build their own Augusta National, and they're going to host something the week of the Masters, and it all went. It, the whole rumors mill went kind of crazy. Matt, you were helpful in debunking that, but it just—I mean. Parcels of land sell all the time to golf developers, and but in this overheated era, like all of a sudden it has this, this geopolitical importance, and it's just kind of wild. What can you give us the TikTok on that story? Well, only just that I was debunking Corin Crenshaw being a part of of a piece of property near Augusta National, in which it would be built for the Saudis, and you know compete for you know some sort of attention around the time of the masters to which, you know, Corin Crenshaw, that's an absolute no, no, in no way, shape or form. Ben Crenshaw hosts the champions dinner two time masters winner. He's like Mr. Bobby Jones, historian, you know, Augusta enthusiast. <laughs> it would be, there would be not a chance in hell, not only for the fact that they're busy and they're booked for the next three to four years, but it's just not <laughs> Scotty Sayers who manages, you know, helps with the business of Corin Crenshaw said, absolutely not. <laughs> this is a definitive no. <laughs> so that's the only thing I was debunking. Then Scotty called me back and said, actually the land that they were shown and that uh, they were, you know, the plans that they sort of, you know, observed actually wasn't the land that was talked about by one of the, one of the social handles. And um, so there, there's, you know, now, now there is, there could be two pieces of land that are being purchased. <laughs> I'd say what's happening with the land around Augusta is, is, is still a mystery, but I can definitely tell you that corn Crenshaw are not going to be involved. That's funny. I mean, it just, the juiciness never ends. Um, I will say a, a, a much needed tonic for these troubling times is the new episode of the grind that drops on February 7th. Um, it's episode three and it follows this, this young woman named uh, Paige Crawford on the road to the LPGA. She's living in her van and she's traveling with her girlfriend and it's just the sweetest, most intimate story. And um, I've rarely consumed a piece of content that left me wanting to root for an athlete more than this, this story. And, um, I, I hope all you, all you folks out there have seen episodes one and two, which, which are obviously really cool. And Ryan French uh, played a big part in them and it's glitzy. You're at Pebble beach and you're on the PGA tour and, and, you know, Ryan and Mark Baldwin are hopping from tournament to tournament and airport to airport. And there was like an incredible energy and sort of propulsion to those two episodes and this one has a different feeling. It's it's sort of meditative and it's beautiful. And um, I really hope everyone checks out this episode. We're super proud of it. And I think it, it elevates this whole series to a different place because it just shows all these all these players ha- are doing it their own way and, and it's unique. So before we go, I just I just wanted to give a shout out to episode three of the grind, which is probably my favorite one. And um, I implore all of you to carve out twenty minutes to enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I had a really good conversation with Paige and Megan. Uh, it's a great addition. We'll have that out uh, later in the week. And, uh, yeah, it's it's very good. When you live in a van and cook every meal in that van, that is truly the grind. How about the pull-out toilet? 
Yeah. I mean, at that point, when they when they reveal their their porta potty, which is something that looks like a box, it looks like the a box the size of something you get shoes in, and that's where (laughs) they use as a restaurant. I'm like, what? That if that's not the great, I mean, Paige Crawford, Mark Baldwin, and then Andre Metzger, Dalton Ward, Brett White, like three guys that just got in today's Monday Q. That to me is just so much more interesting and compelling and worth time and energy and interest. <laughs> it's just so much better. Uh, so that's where I'm going to continue to focus my energy and attention. It's just thank you, Ryan, for bringing all these to life. Bring them to life. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. It's been uh, today, like, uh, I mean, I think I hope that that's what comes through. But like, I truly love that stuff. It was so cool to see. Uh, it, you know, there was probably fifty or hundred fans out there total today, and like, I love that we have all had some sort of small effect. I'm telling you, that's four. That's forty-seven to ninety-seven more fans than are normal at a normal <laughs> Monday queue. <laughs> okay, so like fifty to a hundred is forty-seven to ninety-seven more than any other Monday queue. So. Uh, I mean, it's just, it was just, uh, it was great. It's uh, just awesome. I, uh, super, super fired up about what happened today. It's, uh, ideal. And I hope that all three make the cut. Were, were you fired up well, with that Laz Versailles was riding shotgun for you today? Hey, that and, son and, of a bitch. And, uh, that son of a bitch. Had <laughs> to steal my gig. <laughs> Well, he had people believing. He had people believing he was trying to steal. I just, I'm reading comments right now that are still mad at Laz. Like, hey, you loser! We're talking. Why don't you know? Laz went out to the Monday qualifier with Ryan, and he had this running bit where he's like, "Wow, these Monday qualifiers are great. Someone should really write about these." And to his everlasting credit, he just kept the bit going the whole day. Like, and like he was breaking all these stories and all this news and. Alan, the best part of it is in the first one that he says he's doing this. I'm sitting right behind him. Like, it's not like he just did this on his own. I'm sitting in the cart with him in the first couple of them. Like, this is not, this is not, it was, it was, it was great Twitter content. It really made the day fun. And, um, Ryan's stories, which we're going to get off this podcast, we can start typing it. Uh, that'll be up um, tomorrow, um, or I should say on February 7th, depending on when you listen to this. Well, uh, his whole dispatch from from the Mega Monday qualifier here in Phoenix. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just another intriguing and, and fascinating and maddening week in golf. But as, as Michael said eloquently, the game is the game. The game never changes. And if you can filter out some of these other things, the, the beauty of golf and of, of tournament golf, it, it still remains. So um, look forward to reading out what Ryan's been up to. Uh, I'll have an Ask Allen up on on the on the website. We'll have the Grind episode. Uh, there's all kinds of good stuff. We have uh, the accompanying podcast uh, that's called the Grind Podcast that, that Ryan uh, mentioned, where he goes sort of the story behind the story with, with Paige Crawford, and who knows what other surprises are coming. We know Michael's working on a couple of cool stories. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening uh, to these fire drills. Thanks for checking out our stuff on on firepitcollective.com. Any any parting words before we go, fellas? These are interesting times. 
<laughs> hey, doesn't it look like Michael's point. in one of those movies? Doesn't it look like when Michael's in one of those movies and he's headed to heaven? Like up in the top corner is this like light? <laughs> yeah, the corner. <laughs> yes. Like, very much. Very much. Yeah, so. it's like, oh all no, right. Michael's passing away. It's all right, Michael. <laughs> Stay here with us. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let Michael move on to the, the hereafter. So um this is Alan Shipnuck for Ryan French, Matt Janella, Michael Bamberger, and Mac Barnhart. Sign off from this fire drill. Thanks as always for listening and we'll do it again soon. That's the end. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. And now I can't shake this losing streak. Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.